in prayer as we ask him for help for our final sermon in the book of Galatians. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians years ago. Would you help each and every one of us heed the truths from this whole letter? Would you use it to mold and form and direct the steps of our lives, Lord? We need your help in these things because on our own, we will forget it all. We will ignore it all. Won't make any difference on our lives and we will not be changed. But with you, God, with you, you can do mighty and powerful things. And so we ask you once again to do something mighty and powerful through your word today as we read it, consider it, glory in it, and submit to it. Lord, help us in these things. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2008, Philadelphia Eagles NFL wide receiver Deshaun Jackson was playing against the Dallas Cowboys. And that's a heated rivalry if you know anything about those teams. And Deshaun caught a 61-yard bomb touchdown pass in, in full stride from Donovan McNabb. I can actually remember watching it. I remember seeing this game on television. Perfect pass. Nice run and catch, like I mentioned. And just watching it back this past week and looking it up, Deshaun Jackson was fast in his prime. He may still be around somewhere on some team. I think he might have played last year. But man, was he a blazing fast wide receiver. But not only was he fast, and is he fast, but he was also cocky. And he had the propensity to boast and celebrate with the best of them. And as he pulled away from the defensive back that evening game, he was easily five yards ahead of him. He took the secure ball that he had caught, raised out his hand in celebration, and just so happened to drop the football before he crossed the plane of the end zone. (laughs) After further review, no touchdown. Now, if you think that's a foolish move by Jackson there, and it was, we come now, of course, as I mentioned, to the end of our series in Galatians, where Paul will make his final lasting point in his letter to the Galatians. And his point has everything to do with boasting. We're not talking about losing six points on the scoreboard, but eternal consequences both for the false teachers and anyone who continued to follow them after Paul's warning in this letter to the professing Christians, the churches in the Galatian arena and area. Really, I want us to see that this closing argument is about ways, different ways that people choose to boast or to stake their claim or to put their confidence in different ways that we can do that. And this boasting test that we'll see here at the close of the book sums up and forcefully, I want us 
to see here and close what's really convenient here. It sums up the whole contents of the letter at the end. And if, as I mentioned in our first, very first sermon many months ago, if Galatians is a tornado warning, as Timothy George cleverly put it, and I think that it is, urgent tornado warning, because Paul, as we've seen, has urgently warned his friends about this big danger that they had got themselves caught up into by listening to these Judaizer false teachers. This is a warning. Then it would seem, if, if that's the case, this conclusion is not a winding down of the alarm. But it's reiterating the warning of the entire letter in a short, punchy, concluding statement. Paul did not ease up at the end. But he forcefully drove home his point with great urgency because it's important. And these final three points of this letter will be showing us and reminding us of everything that we've seen and driving home to the churches uh, in the Galatian area so that they could remind, be reminded of it and it might have a lasting impact on them as, even as it has a lasting impact on us here in Gallatin. So let's see it from the text. In point number one, we're going to see hypocritical, manipulative boasting. Look with me at Galatians 6 and verses 11 through 13 for this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might, might, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Apparently, as we just saw there from the beginning, the Apostle Paul was willing to use a physical prop-like illustration in his writing and his teaching. Can you tell what that might be? He used the very page of the letter to the Galatians to show his readers, the urgency of what he was communicating to them. Like the really irritated person who exclaims to those they're trying to get their point across to, do you see the words that are coming out of my mouth? Paul gives emphasis here in his writings. Did you see it? I don't have to say much on this because Paul is just using in his writing with his own hand, a kind of illustration to, to bolster the argument, to show its urgency. And he's putting the finishing touches to his kind of message to drive home the seriousness of the whole entire letter as he reiterates and drives home to land the plane in this tornado warning. And he does it with what? Large letters. Written by his own hand, it says. Now you're wondering, well, back then they didn't have typewriters or computers to write things. Of course, he wrote with his own hand. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was obvious, Paul, but why are you telling me that? Well, if you are familiar with the other letters and if you're familiar with uh, New Testament context historically, Paul would regularly have a scribe or secretary oftentimes or what they called an amanuensis, um, 
to pen his letters for him, even though Paul knew how to write, obviously, because he picks up letter here to write this conclusion with big old large letters. But oftentimes, uh, he would dictate his letters while he oversaw the project. Somebody would else uh, would write for him as he would communicate, and he'd see it, and he'd give the okay that this is right. This is exactly what he would have written with his own hand. But oftentimes, you'll see in the letter, you, it explains many times, like in Romans and other places, where there will be different people who say, I write this to you. And you're like, wait, I thought Paul was writing that. Well, the reason why some other person was writing it is because that was uh, the scribe or, or this, this secretary, so to speak, who was, who, was writing, who was writing Paul's letter as he communicated it to him. And, and Paul would oversee and, and sign off on that. And uh, I don't know if it's because Paul had bad handwriting or what. Um, maybe he wanted to keep focused and have some help in that. But this is a common practice, not just in New Testament writing, which we see evidence of in the New Testament, but also in other contexts in, uh, during that time. But you see, he picks this point in the letter to be like, hey, give me, give me that letter. Give me that writing utensil here. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to write with big old letters to make an impact and an emphasis. He wants them to really take it to heart. Do you see that? It's like an exclamation point. It's, it's like bold capital letters. And on this point, I want to remind us all that Paul was no nonchalant, chatty, kind of conversational, relaxed, soft kind of preacher. He, he wasn't at all. He was urgent. He was eager. He was, as some would say, he was a caffeinated uh, uh, preacher, an apostle. He cared. He took a pen because he had something to say. He was in their face. He said, listen up here at the end. Look at the big words I'm writing for crying out loud. (laughs) That would have got their attention. I hope it has your attention as well. And what does he say here in closing? Well, of course, he brings up those false teachers again. You can't, you can't have a, a, a closing exhortation without addressing the, the real problem that he wrote to begin with. He shows what kind of boasting that they were doing themselves. And he shows that their boasting was not just harmless, like a celebration at a football game, but it was wicked. It was harmful. It was a proud Boasting based on a false gospel. This was so serious, and we've seen that. These were the bad guys of the letter who were boasting in this way. We've seen it throughout our whole series. You can look at the series that uh, I had printed out in your bulletin, if you would take it out now, because it relates, it, it gives all the different sermon titles and texts and summaries and and points. Um, this relates here in conclusion as we remember how far we have come. He warns them throughout the letter, and you could even see it in titles of sermon from chapter sermons from chapter one and the heresy that Paul exposed in these false teachers to begin with. This is why he wrote. He had a reason, he had a purpose. He calls them accursed, anathema. He says that they're damned to hell because of their false teaching. This is serious stuff. We've seen this. We've seen how these bad guys can hurt churches in this region that Paul even himself had formerly ministered to. These conniving bad teachers could even try to seize Titus and have him circumcised in the, that 
private meeting in Jerusalem, and believe it or not, we saw that this false teaching even tripped up Peter and Barnabas, even in the church of Antioch. Their hypocrisy was rebuked by Paul in front of the whole church. Oh, this was a problem, and Paul was serious about it. And thank the Lord that we had a bold apostle to stand up for what was right, right? If not, that whole church would have been led into falsehood because false teaching like that is a cancer to churches. And they even hurt genuine Christians in this very, these very churches in the region of Galatia, right where Paul had written. If Paul can preach the gospel and, and be a part of the establishing of a church and give good discipleship and teaching and evangelism, don't you think that we also are in danger of drifting away from the gospel as well, just like they were? This urgent message of Paul is an urgent message to us at First Baptist Church. Paul even had to rebuke Peter and Barnabas, as we saw. Oh, this is so urgent. This is so important. Thank God that it's been addressed. These were false teachers who were not their friends, but they were enemies in sheep's clothing, disguised as friends, confusing them all. We could run into that same thing here in our church and surrounding our church. Have you ever known someone like that? Their real motives for you are not for your good, but for their own benefit. Selfish, manipulative, hypocritical, using you and flattering you just to deceive you. That's what these bad guys were. That's what Paul was warning against. False teachers here, they were people who were perverting and twisting and ruining the gospel. Not that the gospel can be ruined, but their message of it was not the gospel. And if anyone believed in it, their faith would be ruined. They would not have true gospel reality, which is why Paul was so urgent. These leaders who are in it for themselves are in it for their own esteem and reputation. They only care about themselves. They don't care about anyone else. It says right here in verse 12 again, and let's see it. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They wanted the Galatians to keep the Mosaic law that had already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They wanted to do that likely so that they can gain standing with Jews who also cherished the religious practice of circumcision and other aspects of the law. It was the popular thing to do that day. It was the path of least resistance with influential people in those circles. These false teachers wanted to lessen the sting and punch and force of the unique gospel by emphasizing that others need to keep the law in order to be made right and accepted into the people of God. What a serious lie that is. This is works-centered justification. That is a damnable heresy and lie. That's what they were putting forward. That's what Paul was 
arguing against, warning against, and he does it here again at the end. And they also, these teachers had this hypocritical, manipulative reason so that they can kind of get brownie points or numbers for their cause. For every one they were able to convert in this way was just another notch in the belt, making them look good to the world, making them look good to others. All they cared about was these selfish, manipulative ways. They were hypocrites. Look at Galatians 6, 13 for this as well. For even those who were circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What an odd thing to be boasting in, right? They are not only bad influences, forcing observance of circumcision for their justification, which was wrong, which was the whole warning of this letter. They're also, they're just not their friends, are they? They were manipulative, flattering, lying enemies, pretending to be friends who were hypocritical since they were just in it for the numbers. Do you see it there? And they were even keeping the law themselves. They weren't even keeping the law themselves, as we've seen before. Cursed is anyone who attempts to keep the perfect law that is impossible to keep. Remember that cursed law keepers that we saw? People that do that are on a sheer cliff or a rock without a rope, trying to perfectly observe the law. And that is a losing game for anyone No matter what they say, it just ends in death because nobody can keep the law perfectly. Everyone's broken the law. So what a foolish and crazy and and false way to kind of live the Christian life. It's a false gospel. And they prided themselves and put their confidence in what others were able to provide for them in a kind of manipulative way. This is what false teachers do. Using them for their benefit. That's such a hoax, I hope you see. That's a fraud. Don't get tripped up, church, by the charade of number counting and counting of noses. What really matters in local churches is not numbers alone when it comes to spiritual things and local churches and ministry. What really matters, as we see here, is truth and genuine spiritual growth and real faithful gospel ministry. Is there faithfulness? Is it the true gospel? That's great. There are churches packed to the brim with false gospels. Don't be impressed by numbers alone. That's what Paul is bringing out here. But faithfulness, genuine Christianity, spiritual growth and health, that's what Paul cared about. That's what he wanted them to esteem and care about and boast in. And I want to encourage us all, if we ever run into false teachers like this, moving you away from the glorious gospel of done, as one preacher put it. You hear that? If someone moves you away about the gospel that has been completed and is done, if someone moves you away from the gospel of done to a false gospel of do to be saved, Run away from that kind of thing. Expose that kind of thing. Cast it out. Don't get duped by it. See their hypocrisy for what it is. This is Paul's argument throughout the letter, and he lands on it for us for emphasis. Open your eyes, church. Open up. Not every preacher you see or meet has your best interest in mind. Ask yourself, what do they really care about? 
Do they really care about me or are they just manipulating me? Do they really care about truth or are they just doing what's popular all the time? Do they really want to labor hard for the good of the body or are they just in it for the money or fame or boasting or reputation or anything like that? Ask yourself that question and your answer should determine what you're going to devote yourself to, who you might listen to if they're preaching. I want you to plug your ears when you hear a false teacher. I want you to ignore it. I want you to say, no, may it never be. This is wrong. You might hear it on the radio. You might see it on the TV. You might see it on the internet. Someone might send you an email with a clip of something. If it's false, put it aside. Warn others. Do do what God calls you to do. Heed the warning of the book of Galatians. Don't ignore it. You've heard it now. You're not ignorant of these things. You've heard these truths over and over again. There's a reason these are in the Bible. Notice when there are haughty and self-congratulatory teachers and preachers who are living ungenuine, hypocritical lives for the glory of themselves and not the glory of God. Notice when they teach you falsehood and turn from it. But Paul doesn't want to just leave us with that negative note. In his closing of the letter, he wants to also drive home the glorious positive note as well, which leads us to our second point, and number two, to see a different kind of boasting, and that is gospel-motivated justification boasting, or gospel-centered justification boasting. Look with me in your Bibles to Galatians 6 and 14 and 15 for this. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In contrast to the boasting of these false teachers, the work-centered teachers, the legalistic teachers, the licentious teachers, those teachers who added burdens to the Galatians that go beyond what God ever intended for them and tripped them up in their race, Paul says their hypocritical emphasis in law-keeping and circumcision to supposedly, I don't know, make people enter into the family of God, as these false teachers were teaching, into the people of God or the good graces of God, the acceptance of God, the smile of God, That's what they were teaching. Paul says now, in contrast to that, that their plan of salvation and circumcision to supposedly make it into the grace of God, it's hogwash. It's nothing. It counts for zero, zip, zilch. It means nothing. In fact, it actually ruins and takes away from the grace of God in the gospel. This is the counter. This is the counter of the whole entire letter that we've been seeing. Works righteousness to earn is like a little poison in your food or drink. It will ruin it all, and it ruins the gospel. A little works righteousness to justification, if you add that, it ruins justification. It twists the gospel. It makes it unrecognizable. It's no longer the gospel. He says, time out here. None of that law-keeping counts for anything, church. What really matters and counts is that you are a new creation. Have you been converted? 
Have you been changed? Have you been made new? Have you been given a new heart? Are you a new man or woman? Is there a change? Is there a transformation? Paul, rather than trying to get out of persecution here as well as the false teachers did before, I want us to see this too. He wasn't trying to get out of persecution, trying to make nice with Jews who would strongly denounce and cause hardship for him. He knew that they would. He knew that there'd be persecution. Rather than trying to get out of it like a coward, what does Paul do? He doubles down throughout the letter and in conclusion with big old bold letters, big old uppercase letters. And he calls out this whole endeavor as hypocritical and useless. That practice is, is, is completely off and completely wrong. I'm not afraid of persecution. He didn't soften up here and say, you do you, <laughs> whatever, whatever makes you happy. If you like that circumcision, law-keeping thing, go ahead and with that. That's okay. I don't want to be controversial. You're not hurting anyone. Does Paul say that? No, no, no. Paul doesn't go that route. But he takes it head on, doesn't he? What a bold preacher he was, an apostle. Because Paul, the reason he did that, he knew that the cross would be emptied of its power if you added any law-keeping and ritual and and anything like that to, to the equation of how you're made right before God through Christ. Oh, it was urgent. On the one side, you had these false teachers boasting in law keeping and gain and trying to get influence and acceptance with other people to get popularity and esteem by capturing the Galatian believers to their cause. That was, their, that was where they were at, the false teachers. On the other hand, Paul only cared about Jesus. Paul only cared about the cross of Christ and not his own skin. He was motivated by the gospel that actually saves because he knew it was the only thing that can save. And he knew that it wasn't popular and he knew that it would get him in trouble But he did it anyways, like a faithful gospel-preaching apostle and preacher. That's the kind of preacher you should listen to, that I should listen to, that we should listen to, that your pastors try and seek to imitate and put forward by giving you the word of God, the actual word of God. We've got nothing unique and interesting to just add to the equation of our own opinions and likings to try to get popular and, and try to, you know, not have a... If, if, if it's offensive, then we need to put it forward. We, we need to put these truths forward. We need to warn. We need to give glorious realities. It's not about popularity. It's not about getting out of trouble, but it's about truth. Paul knew it. These Judaizers boasted in things that could pump them up. Paul boasted in truths that pump God up. And glorify God. That's the difference. What are you seeing from the ministry of somebody? The cross, the cross, the cross. A symbol of torture and a death penalty. Paul boasted in the cross. Nothing but the cross. Which meant that he needed to be willing himself to be persecuted for an unpopular, central, true gospel. Even if it hurt. It's a life-changing reality. He was convinced of it. Are you? Are you convinced of it? Paul couldn't mix a little bit of Jewish religion. If he did that, he would be emptying the cross of its power, as we see in Corinthians. Mixing with anything 
is simply the demonic, worldly, elementary principles of the world as we've seen before. And we have been crucified to the world in all its wicked ways. Amen? Whether pagan, worldly practices and debauchery and sin or religious works righteousness like uh, the Judaizers were trying to be putting forward. Either way, either one is the elementary principles of the world that we're never meant to save that we should repent of and never go back to. That's what we've seen. Other religions talk about what we can be doing to get right before a holy God. They seek to point us to what we can do. The gospel proclaims and puts forward what God alone has done for us. Do you see the difference? That's the difference of the book of Galatians. That's the difference of the gospel. The cross kills or puts to death all working and doing in personal pride that can come from us because we couldn't do it ourselves, so we needed a Savior to do it for us. Isn't that true? Jesus had to die, not because we were real great people, but because we were bad, sinful, helpless, enslaved people. That should cause us to worship. That should cause us to be humble. And Paul even has to remind Peter and Barnabas of this truth that we saw in chapter 2, that it's only by justification, by faith, that any of us are saved and forgiven by God to begin with. Care who you are. Care if you're an apostle or leader of the church. I don't care if you're a new Christian. Everybody enters the same way through faith in Jesus alone. That's the only justification. Not in our doing. Not in our supposed goodness, because we don't have it anyways. We don't. No, we don't have perfect goodness. No, none of us do. This justification is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ alone, as the reformers put forward hundreds of years ago, as the apostle put forward thousands of years ago, as Christians have staked their life upon throughout the history of the church. And this promised offspring was sent to the world to save sinners like you and me. All of this should so encourage us. He came just at the right time, didn't he? God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We're no longer under the guardians and managers of the Mosaic law, but what? We are now under God's grace through faith because of what Jesus did for us. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what else will. We were once slaves, church, but now we're set free. We must see the church. We were trapped in the prison of our own wickedness, but now we're adopted into God's family through the grace of God alone. It's God who justifies, as is the title of one good book on the topic. We can't justify ourselves. He's the judge. We must trust the judge who sent his son to come off of that platform of judging in the person of work of the Savior. He sent his son, the Savior, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, to become a man, to become human, fully God and fully human, to what? Save unworthy sinners like you and me, to bring us into his family. Church, if you're going to boast about anything, 
If you're going to confidently stand with two feet on anything for the whole rest of your lives, I charge you along with the Apostle Paul to stand on the promises of God our Savior in Christ alone. That is a solid rock that we stand. All the other ground is what? Sinking sand. We can't do it ourselves. God must accomplish it all. We're not good enough, ever, our whole lives. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. God must save. That is what the cross is all about, a saving reality for all believers. That is what Galatians is about, gospel-centered justification. But now, as we've seen that important contrast here at the end, that's the contrast of the letter, between the false teachers and the apostle Paul, we move to the final words of Paul to the Galatians now to see in number three, transformed, justified, confident living. Look with me in your Bibles at the last few verses of the letter. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks on my body, the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. These are the Apostle Paul's final words to the Galatians. And notice there in this conclusion, he contrasts himself again with the false teachers in verse 17. He's He expects that the letter be heeded by these genuine believers. He hopes, he was hopeful throughout. He kept saying, oh, uh, I I think you're gonna be won over by this, but if you're not, that means you're not genuine and you're gonna go to hell. But he's hopeful that they might be won over and he expects them to listen to the true gospel and to be won over to come back. He's like, from now on, guys and gals, don't listen to these false teachers who contradict me by adding to the gospel legalistic practices of fleshly works. He says, they tell you to cut your flesh and religious practice to somehow earn entrance and favor with God. That is just so foolish. Why would you think that? That's, that's crazy. That's crazy talk, Paul says. I'll give you physical flesh and skin example in my own life. Check out the scars and the evidence of my own persecution because of the cause of the gospel and the cross that I boast in. They try to get out of persecution. I dove headlong into it for your sake and for the cause of the gospel and for the Savior. Douglas Moo helpfully explains this and says to us uh, in his commentary, he says, Paul, Paul probably intends these physical scars to stand in contrast to the physical mark of circumcision. As Eastman paraphrases, he says, Paul's point, you want something to brag about? You want identity markers? I'll give you identity markers. You see these scars? I'm branded for Jesus. Become like me. Paul was no hypocrite like them. But he practiced what he preached, huh? He was all about the cross, even when it cost him his physical health and his friends. And even when it cost him great pain, 
or when it was hard to confront others, he was willing even to undergo physical persecution for the cause of the gospel. If you don't believe me, let me remind you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11b through 30. Read it with me, turn there, or make a note of it, and see it on the screen. It says this, but whoever, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, see the topic of boasting, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I boast, I will boast on the things that show my weakness. Why? Because in his weakness, he shows his love for the gospel his love for his Savior and willingness to undergo all these things for the cause of the gospel, for the salvation of the Gentiles. This was an example worthy to give us confidence about. If Paul was able to do that, if you get a little glimpse of that kind of thing, just think what you might be able to do in a transformed, justified, confident life. You see, this ties to our point we just saw, the second point of boasting in the cross, We can only have confidence in the cross like Paul did if we see that as really the priority of our lives. If the gospel is really the main thing, then we're willing to stake our lives and put our all into it as opposed to just sitting on the sidelines or listening to any and every false teacher who will take us in a different way, who will seek to get us out of a little trouble, who will seek to kind of an easier path who will seek to kind of puff us up and make us feel good and wonderful and sweet about ourselves. No, Paul doesn't do that kind of thing. He doesn't put his confidence in his own doing or work or or flesh or religious acumen like the false teachers did. But he puts his confidence in who? Christ alone. Suffering for the cause of the gospel. Are you, church, giving your life to gospel-centered, cross-centered ministry and life and thinking and evangelism and discipleship of your kids and discipleship of other people in this church? Or are you just going through the religious motions? Ask yourself that question. We could only be confident in changed and transformed, real, genuine lives. If there's nothing going on, if there's not a spiritual pulse, if there's not religious life and transformation and conversion 
How in the world are we gonna put any confidence in any of that? We need to be transformed by the gospel so that we might live out our lives in confidence. And it should lead us to and give us boldness. It should narrow our focus in life, not boasting in our own works or doing, but boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Oh, I want us to see that, and I want us to see how this relates to all of us here in this church. Not many of us are from ethnic Israel. Not many of us are Jewish by ethnicity in that way. But do you see, one of the big arguments through this letter is that the gospel is not just for one nation. It's not just for one ethnicity. This relates to all of us here. As we already saw in the end of chapter 3, Father Abraham has a rather diverse offspring with men and women, Jew and Gentile. That, that's, that's Jewish, religious people ethnic, ethnic, uh, ethnically, and then all the rest of the ethnicities, which is Gentile. He has a church that includes both of those things, slave and free. We saw that there at the end of chapter 3. Now look at verse 16 again for this. It says, Galatians six sixteen, and as... For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Do you just see the glorious truths of this letter being reiterated over and over again? We've seen this already. Walk in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit through faith. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit, as we saw last week. And also, don't go back to the Mosaic law-keeping to try to get into the people of God. Don't do that. That was a season in the old covenant, but now that Christ came, things were different. Focus on the the history of redemption. See where we're at. Open up your eyes. Don't act like you're still in the past, but get up with where we're at here in the future now that Jesus has come. Now that he's come and he's ransomed a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, as the book of Revelation tells us, it's a whole new ball game that we're seeing now. Glory in that. Because all of us, through faith, are grafted into the family of God in our union with Christ when we first believed. And those of us who find our boast in the cross, like Paul, if you're a Christian, that means you find your boast in the cross. You don't boast in other things. You boast only in the cross. If that's you, I'm talking directly to Christians. If you're not a believer, if you, have, if you don't have newness of life and a new heart, this is, this is, I'm not talking to you. It could be you if you believe, but I'm talking to believers. If you find your boast in the cross like Paul, if you put all your eggs into one basket of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for us, for you, for our salvation, for your salvation, if that is true for you, the cross actually saves you. That is your And my only hope, is it your only hope? Is it your only hope? May it be your only hope. Don't put hope in other things. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Some trust in armies and and calvaries. We boast and trust in the Lord alone. And we find peace in the gospel, as we just saw as well, because our judgment and guilt can only be washed away through faith and the cross alone. We don't find peace or faith in our own works or our own law-keeping or anything else. We find peace 
and we enter into the family of God, we become Abraham's offspring, as we saw before in the letter, and we are now known as the Israel of God, even as the text just clearly said, through faith alone. Amazing. That's gospel-centered justification. Christopher Cowan, Tom Schreiner, and my favorite professor from seminary, Stephen Wellam, all make this really key point in their writings and teachings that we all enter the family of God and become the Israel of God through faith alone, not works, not where we're born, not anything like that, but through faith alone. And and in fact, they all point out that the very context of the whole letter of Galatians is driving home this central key truth. And it relates to you and me, church. It relates to us. I want us to see it in closing. I want us to see how this relates to us. Stephen Wellam put it like this. He said, the central issue in Galatians was raised by outside teachers who insisted that Gentile believers must be circumcised to enter the people of God. We saw that, right? That's true. He goes on to say that Paul counters these Judaizers by explaining who truly belongs to Abraham's family. Another way of putting it is that Paul defines true circumcision. He insists that all who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation are members of Abraham's family. Those who receive the Spirit by faith are the true seed of Abraham. One does not become part of Abraham's family through circumcision, physical circumcision, but through the one and only true seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Look at all this summary that Paul gave us from this letter in your outline that you can look back to and remember and see the points. Look at it all here. This is truly gospel-centered justification right here in Galatians. Church, don't forget it. Don't go back to work-centered justification. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to boasting in yourself. Boast only in the cross. And if you're going to have a little touchdown celebration, make sure it's in the cross of Christ alone. Be confident in that. Your transformation, your justification, and your Christian living are all rooted and grounded in the gospel of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So say no to low legalism and also say no to licentious and lawless living, but only boast in the cross of Christ. And if you do, church, if you do, these last words of the apostle directly relate to you. And it says in 618, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And let's pray. Father, we're thankful for what you revealed in this wonderfully stirring, encouraging, helpful letter. Help us take it to heart. Help us live in light of it. Oh, Lord, would you be moving in Christian hearts to see more and more all that you've done for them? And would you be moving in the hearts of any unbeliever who had believed the false gospel and who have believed in untrue things about the gospel? that they might repent and see and believe the glory of this gospel that is centered on you doing everything necessary and sending your son for us, for our salvation, for our justification. We're thankful, Lord, for Galatians imprinted on all of our hearts. And we say this in Christ's name. Amen.